the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news. And now, Tom Jones. Well, this morning, as we continue down our road, Book of Hebrews, I'd like to preach a message on entitled, The Visitor from Heaven. And before we get to this, uh, we're going to talk about the history of the message. Let's pray. Most Holy God and Father above, I'm thankful for this morning and the opportunity to present this message to our brothers and sisters. I pray truly our hearts will be open as we hear of the message that was sent from you, Father, to this earth through your Son. The history of the message today. And we'll understand in a better way what this message means to us when we understand about the visitor who came and all he did for us. I thank you for the opportunity. I pray truly, Father, for your gift of blessings this morning. As we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us of the visitor from heaven. Now, as we learned last week, we are led gradually into this realization as the chapter begins with the word, therefore. When you see the word, therefore, you just naturally ask, what is it, therefore, therefore? The answer is simple. Therefore is there for the things that we said in the previous chapter. We were informed that Jesus himself laid the foundations of the earth. And that was quite an achievement. Not only that, but we were told the world is the footstool of his feet. It was mentioned too that although the world will grow old and pass away, his years will not fail. The angels were pictured as worshiping Jesus and then being dispatched to do his will. And after all this, we read, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Verse 1, it says, Lest we drift away. Now, it's a sobering thing that this mighty one has a message for us. And in view of who he is, we had better listen up. We had better pay attention. There's nothing to which we should give more attention than to the Word of God. The GPS, as JB said this morning. God's powerful scriptures. What a great analogy that was. Then the word drift is mentioned. Don't drift away from them and with this comes a warning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Many things can be neglected, but you dare not neglect anything that has anything to do with your soul's salvation. Whatever you do, don't neglect that. You can afford to neglect the ball game, you can afford to neglect your job, but you cannot afford to neglect your salvation. If we could, why is it in there? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, we'll pick up today in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. 
But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. I want to share with you today four important facts about the visitor from heaven. And the first is this. Let's talk about who is this visitor. Who is this visitor? Well, we read there in the sixth verse these words, which is a quote from Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care or visit or pay attention of him? You see, God's mindful of us. God remembers us. God knows that we are here. What is man? Man, oh man, what is man? God knows all about us. The scriptures say that God knows the number of hairs on our head. That's pretty crazy because we don't even know how many hairs are on. Now, I've met some and it would be a whole lot easier to count. But like I told Phil one day when we were in Michigan, as he introduced me and talked about it, I said, you know, I'd like to pick on Phil about his baldness, but I'll have to look outside and see if there's any bears because you know what happened in the scripture when somebody picked on the bald man, the bear came out and devoured them. So I don't try to pick on the bald guy. God knows if a little bird falls from a tree. God knows when we hurt. God knows when we feel physical pain and spiritual pain and emotional pain. God cares about you. And I can't help but think Sometimes the problem is not that we don't know whether God cares about us, but whether we care about us. The scripture teaches me I'm supposed to care about my wife like I care about myself. You see, there's a... a two-way caring there, isn't there? Because I've always said, the more I love her, the more she's going to love me back. Now, maybe that doesn't, maybe doesn't always work. But see, it's supposed to work that way. Because you reap what you sow. And I believe fully in the reap-sow process described in the scripture. But if I'm supposed to be doing it the way God expects me to do it, then I should be able to reap those same rewards. But you know, we have a, what do we care about us when it comes to God? God cares about us, doesn't he? Do I care about me? I said, I told you guys before, I know how tough life can get. I get down on myself at times. I get low self-esteem. People are beating me up at work. You know, it's tough to job. They're tough in life and so on. And there are mornings I look in the, in the mirror and 
for you today is just to crawl back in bed. And then I look at myself again and say, but that's not what God wants me to do. And it's like, come on, God, really? I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. You ever feel that way? They're like, look at me. Then I have to remember things I've taught you. To look in the mirror and say, God doesn't make junk. And I am special to God. Now I keep telling you. Do that. And when you do it, put a smile on your face. And then repeat it back to yourself. Martin Phillips has a book. Now, I don't remember which of his two books came out of, whether it was Never Lick a Frozen Flagpole or the other one, Never Lick a Moving Blender. Interesting names, aren't they? <laughs> They're great humorous books by preacher, brother Marvin Phillips. But one of the things he says in there is, today's a new day. I can choose whatever attitude I want today. And I choose to be great today. To have a great day. You see, every day is a great day when we make that choice. No matter what we're going through, we choose whether it's going to be a great day or not. So tomorrow morning, when you get up, you look at that mirror and say, today's going to be a great day. Because my God doesn't make junk and I'm special to Him. See if you don't have a better day. Because what is man? Man, oh man, what is man? That God knows all about us. You know, we are constantly amazed at the invention of the computer and what it has become. At least I am. It went from being something that took up an entire room, one computer, an entire room, and when something that fits into your hand and slips into your pocket, like we all have probably here today. If it's not with you, it's out in your vehicle. The computer, with all its seemingly endless information, cannot reveal anything but what it has been programmed to reveal. It does not have a mind of its own to do its own thinking. What is put in is what comes out. Our brains, brothers and sisters, are computers. At birth, it is essentially blank. But for the memories from the womb, sounds and moods, etc., nothing is in it until it begins to be programmed. It is programmed by all that it hears, sees, feels, tastes, and smells. Nothing is ever lost. You may forget a lot of things, but they are all there in your computer. Whenever God wants, He can tie into your brain and give you an instant readout of every day of your life. Every impulse is there. Every thought is there. Every deed is there. Every secret desire is there. You are programmed that way. God is mindful of us. Man, oh man. What is man? You think about it. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has paid us a visit. That's the visitor from heaven. When Jesus came into this world, he did not say, Take me to your leader. He said, I am your leader. In verse 10, the word author can also be translated as captain or chief leader of our salvation. Jesus came to lead us. He came to take command. He came to show us the way. What way? 
the way to heaven. God's powerful scriptures, GPS to heaven. You and I can never get to heaven without Jesus showing us the way. And us following. Because Jesus can show us the way all he wants. You and I are not going to get there if we don't follow. Man, oh man. What is man? Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Who's the seed of Abraham? Christians are. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and pow- uh, excuse me, merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, we have the visitor for heaven, from heaven, and that's number two fact, the arrival of the visitor. You see, it is well to point out that this visitor from heaven didn't arrive in a flying saucer or any other kind of spaceship. He didn't get teleported onto earth. But however, he did arrive in a most miraculous way. Jesus came to us via the virgin birth. Gabriel, the messenger from God, told Mary the virgin, the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also that holy one who has been born will be called the Son of God. The angel also told Joseph, the husband of Mary, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, God, the Son, is the visitor from heaven, and He has come. He did not come into this world as an angel. He came as a man. And man, oh man, what is man? He was made a little lower than the angels. That shows us how high up on the totem pole the creation of man is. He is just a little lower than the angels. You can't get any higher than that. One day Jesus said that we will be as the angels. Not higher than the angels, but as the angels. Same place as they in heaven. And aside from the angels, man is the greatest thing that God has made. You see, you're wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. And God doesn't make junk, does he, J.B.? We are impressed with this speck of dirt on which we live. It seems almost egotistical to say that we are the greatest in God's creation. But something had to be the greatest, so why not us? Every time a spaceship buzzes Mars or Venus or some other planet, it seems the scientists wait with bated breath to see if the picture sent back reveal, what? Life on other planets. Now it seems from the reports that they are bound and determined to find life there some way or another. Pictures come in and they say, well, wait till we get the next batch. 
And they evidently expect to find a man 50 feet high with an intellect that is so great that even the idiots are as smart as the Einsteins and the Edisons. And so far, they have not found anybody out there. Actually, if there was anybody out there and it was superior being, they would already have found us. Wouldn't you think? We would not be finding them. If they had found us, they would have colonized the world and enslaved us and put us on a reservation somewhere. Well, they might have come here and say, we going back and tell them there's an intelligent life on this planet. <laughs> Years ago, a noted theologian came to the United States from England. He appeared on TV news program and in the interview asked him, the interviewer asked him this question. Are we alone in the universe? Aren't we very arrogant to think that we are it and no one else is out there? And the answer from the theologian was disheartening to the interviewer. He said, man is the biggest thing in the cosmos. What is man? Man, oh man, what is man that the Son of God should pay him a visit? God the Son came to this speck of dirt, this third rock from the sun, to live among us. The visitor from heaven came to be among us. And I tell you, that should make you and I pretty special. God is mindful of you. God takes care of you. God is concerned about our lives. God is mindful of each and every one. Would you feel special if somebody like really special in the world came to visit you? Now, I don't know if you watch football, if you pay attention to the the news throughout the week or whatever. But last week, the football game in Kansas City, the Buffalo Bills played in the Kansas City Chiefs. There's this little girl, had a sign. You know what the sign said? Buffalo Bills and Taylor Swift, best first game ever. You know what that little girl going to her very first football game, eight years old, you know what she wanted to be, see? Taylor Swift. What's special to her? The problem was, she was on the other side of the stadium where the little girl was sitting. Over there is where Taylor was. Mom gets a phone call from a friend. Hey, guess what? My seats are right in front of the booth where Taylor Swift's sitting. Why don't you bring you and your daughter? We'll swap seats at halftime. Maybe she gets to say hello to Taylor. Sure enough, halftime comes, they swap seats. She's over there, she's holding up her sign. But they can't see in the booth. Till Jason Kelsey, the brother Travis Kelsey, sees her. He picks her up and carries her up to the window. and gets Taylor's attention. And Taylor waved at her and said, Hi! Made the little girl's day. And all she wanted was hi from Taylor Swift. Made the NBC News the next morning. She was a guest on the NBC News to describe what it felt like for her to see Taylor Swift and say hello. I got a guest came to visit me. There you go. And how do you feel, Andy? Privileged. It's pretty important when somebody so special makes it a point to come and see you. Andy's confused a lot of times, though. <laughs> 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 we 
God bless you. You see, how many times do I have to tell you? You are special to God. Peter mentions in 1 Peter, we are a special people. God cares about us. So we have the arrival of the visitor. He was here for a while. Things were going really good, but something changed. You see, he was only here for a little while. Because the third fact we have is that the visitor died. You see, what did the visitor from heaven do when he came to sojourn among us? He, he was crowned with glory and honor by tasting a cruel death for every man. The visitor from heaven was crucified. He died for you and died for me. And the greatest weapon the devil ever had is death. He's used it on all. Only two in history had managed to escape. How he must have been in high glee and joy when he saw Abel stretched out on the ground lifeless. This was the first recorded death in an intelligent creation of God. I've killed him. And he's been killing ever since, old devil has been. And John reminds us in John 8.44 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus went through death for us. He bore our sins upon himself. That's love. That's forgiveness. That's mercy and grace. That's how much you and I mean to God. The Hebrew writer shares that with us. In the 14th verses I read, he shared with us in flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Satan's power is broken. Death does not have the same power for the Christian as it does for the unsaved. The Christian does not have the same fear of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-58, some of my most favorite scriptures are this. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And I love this. Oh, death! Where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Christian who has put their faith and trust and obedience in the Lord will not have to face that second death. The lake of fire. According to Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has, has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. What's the first death? It is taking part in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, it happens at baptism. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness 
of His resurrection. And that's why when I baptized on, I put Him down in that water, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. You're somebody new. You're somebody special. And you're walking on that path toward heaven following the visitor. You see, the fear of death has been on man since the beginning. Before Jesus, it was a hopeless fear. Now, even for the unsaved, it can be a good thing. Many a person has been moved to become a Christian because of the fear of death. It's a good of the Christian to also have a godly fear of death. If we did not have some reluctance to leave, knowing what we know about the future life, we might be tempted to jump off some high building and say, Lord, here I come! You see, it's good for us to think as Paul in Philippians 1, 23 and 24. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And it still must come down to doing God's will. You see, the sting of death has been removed for us by the visitor from heaven. In 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Every day we decay a little. Now obviously if you saw a picture of me 25 years ago you would say it doesn't look like the same man. And you would be right. I heard a lot of giggles there. <laughs> Only because we share the experience. <laughs> <laughs> you see the reason, well, Phil always says, when he, I'm not half the man I was when he first met me. He's probably about right on that. The reason is that I have been rotting away for the past 25 years. I've come to the place where I can say that I am one of the rottenest people I know. Now there are some folks who rot faster than others, but even though our outward man is rotting a little every day, the man on the inside is being renewed day by day. I haven't aged a bit in the last 25 years as far as that man is concerned. Actually, I hope that man is getting better. That new man within me. And that's why the visitor died. Fact number four is this. The brother of the visitor you see, the visitor from heaven after his resurrection ascended back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sat there to intercede for us. And at first glance, it looks like he has a lot to be ashamed of. If you, as a Christian, had a brother who was a drunkard, there's no way that you would be proud of him. How could you be proud of a brother who was a sexual pervert? How could you be proud of a brother who believes he is a direct descendant of a monkey? Hello. I have no monkey blood in me. If there, was, if there was, I certainly wouldn't want to let it be known. Can you hear the neighbors? They say he has monkey blood. At least his brother says he's a descendant from a monkey. So he must be right. His brother also. You see, there's no monkey blood in me. I have 100% descended from Adam. If you have monkey blood in you, I don't advise you to go to church. I advise you to go to the zoo where you can be among your own kind. You see, a person might try to defend their monkey blood by saying that was generations and generations ago. Now, I don't care how long ago it was. If you have one drop of monkey blood in you, guess what? You are a monkey. 
And actually, that is why the devil has convinced a lot of people about evolution. Mm -hmm. If a man is on the same level as the monkey, then he is not responsible to God. Now, we all are pretty sure that God would not send a monkey to hell. And the average man feels safer in saying that he has monkey blood than saying that he is 100% human. After all, Jesus did not come to redeem the monkeys. So, if I have monkey blood, I don't have to give any attention to the plan of God for salvation. There's no monkey heaven. There's no monkey hell. You people who believe in evolution, in a matter of speaking, have it made. As far as I know, you monkeys will not be resurrected. You monkeys will not have to be judged. But, when you die, you won't be any better off than the rest of the monkeys forever buried in the ground. That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But it sure makes a whole lot of sense. Think about it. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call such people brethren. We might say, Lord, how can you do it? How can you call dope pushers, evolutionists, murderers, abortionists, pimps, prostitutes, members of your family? How can you say that you're not ashamed of any of us? Perhaps it would be best if we read all of what he said. In verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You see, the ones that he's not ashamed are the ones that have been sanctified. But, but, but how can you sanctify and justify and wash a person who has monkey blood? Now there's the rub, isn't it? The person who thinks he has monkey blood is mistaken. Yes, yeah, some may think that you are blue-blooded baboon. They're mistaken. We are red-blooded human beings descended from the same blood as old Daddy Adam. The man with no belly button. What? Why did I say he has no belly button? You see, since he had no belly button, that proves that he was not born. He was created by God Almighty. All of us are descended from him. Since the Lord gave himself to save Adam's race, you are in that bunch who are the sanctified if you've been obedient to God's will. You see, the belly button comes from what? The umbilical cord. Unless God gave him a belly button as cosmetic, he's the man who had no belly button. <coughs> And then he can say, Eve didn't have a belly button either. Because she was also created. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers or homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the, and by the Spirit of God. When? When I demonstrated by faith, through repentance, confessing Christ as my Lord and Savior, and being immersed into Christ Jesus. That's when I was washed sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God and Jesus calls me brother. 
He sees he's not ashamed of the sanctified. The question is, have you been washed, sanctified, and justified? Are you a brother of Jesus? Sister of Jesus? You see, because of what this visitor from heaven did, for us, we can appear before God as though we had never done any of those things that are listed in the readout of the computer of our brain. Jesus will not be ashamed of you on that day. Jesus will announce to the Heavenly Father that we are his brethren. Who's that visitor from heaven? Praise God. He is your brother. <coughs> the next time the visitor from heaven comes, He's coming with a sword of justice. He won't be coming to bring salvation. You see, he's brought salvation once. Presented it to mankind. And mankind has to decide what he's going to do with that free gift of salvation. What was the old commercial? The Fram Auto Filter, I believe it was. You can pay me now or pay me later. In other words, it was you can pay the extra dollars for the Fram Auto Filter, which is good for your car, or you can pay the mechanic later all the hundreds of dollars because it did your cheap filter didn't work. That's what that commercial was all about. But you know, same way works with God. When we're walking this earth, we can realize that Jesus paid for us now. And we accept that payment. And we decide, no, I'd rather stand before God and pay it on my own. Be held to pay. And that's right. They'll be held to pay. <clears throat> if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I've told you, I think, at least three times in that sermon today how to become a Christian. By faith, there's fourth time. By faith, repenting of your sins. By faith, confessing the name of Jesus. And by faith, being immersed into Christ by faith walking each day living your life for Jesus do you have any room for Jesus in your life 